Hey, this is Pastor Greg Evans from Calvary Assembly of God. I want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I pray that God will speak to your heart, that he will challenge you, and that you will be encouraged and that you will overcome by God's word and the word of your testimony. God bless you. Enjoy the service. Praise God. Today is our final day of Missions Month, Global Impact Month at Calvary Assembly of God. You'll notice on your pews there are there are faith promise cards. If you took one home with you and brought it back, that's great. If not, there is one right there. I'm asking everyone. In fact, would you make sure just everybody has one of those in your hands? Even if, even if it is your intent at this moment not to fill one out today, uh, would you just hold one in your hand while even now? Because we're just going to pray. I'm just going to ask God to just speak to us while we, while we do this. I've got one in my hand, and I'm just going to ask God to really. Here's the thing. You may say, well, why do I need to, why do I need to fill this out? Why can't I just give to missions as I feel led? Yes, you can, and please do. But this is the only mechanism we have to know how to plan to support missionaries. The Assemblies of God is the largest missions sending organization in the world. We send more missionaries than any other organization as far as I know. Possibly it's neck and neck with the Southern Baptist Convention. And, uh, but there are, and I, there are many missions organizations to give to. We are not the only one. We understand that. But this is the house that God has put us in. And if you're a member here and you, uh, you're an adherent here, you serve and minister at this church and or worship at this church, then we believe God would speak to you and say, we want to help Calvary, Assembly of God, send missionaries and pray for missionaries and provide for missionaries around the world. You've heard me say it every week this month. That last year, we gave over $40,000 to missionaries. That's something to give God praise for right now. Amen. And this year, and I will never stop making a bigger goal unless God tells me to, but this year, I believe we can give over $50,000 to missionaries around the world. How many can believe with me for $50,000 plus for missions around the world? That is in and above our regular tithes and offerings, our regular gifts and givings. We, that doesn't even include the things we do, like our food ministry right here at home and uh, other outreaches that we do right here at home. This is our world and home missions, missionaries, missions efforts around the nation and around the world. And we need your help. We need you to hear from the Lord and to fill this in. And at the end of the service, as we conclude this message and have an altar call, I'm going to ask you, and I want you to hear me, because I, I, I don't want it to be like when I asked the new members to stand a minute ago and then say, well, I didn't hear you say that, Pastor. I want you to hear me. I really believe that this is, because I wasn't going to do it this way. I was going to do it different. I really believe that I just felt prompted in my spirit to say, you know what? We're going to give this to the Lord this morning, whatever God lays on our heart, and we're going to lay it on this altar. So we're going to call these steps the altar this morning. I, the altar can be anywhere. We get that. It's in our heart. But this is the altar. This is the front. And I want you at the conclusion of this service today, as we have the altar call, if the Lord has given you something that you're to do this year for missions at Calvary, then I want you to fill this card in and I want you to lay it on this altar. And then as you leave, we have a gift for you, for everyone who gives a commitment to missions this year through Calvary, whatever the amount, we have a gift for you, and it's in the back, and the ushers will be standing back there. So make sure if you fill one of these out and lay it on the altar that you would go by and get the gift on your way out. It's just a hat. It says he is worthy on it, but it is something to help remind you all throughout the year about your commitment, but also to remind us that he is worthy. Let's pray over these this morning. If you have one, just hold it in your hand. Father, we thank you that you, Jesus, died 
so that the whole world might be saved. And we want to do our part, God, to make sure that the message of Jesus, the word of God, the messengers of God would be able to go to the uttermost parts of the world. Lord, into places that have never been gone to before, unreached people groups. We want to get the Bible translated into uh, translations in unknown tongues at this point. People that have never had a clear presentation. We want to make sure that they get that. So, Lord, we pray that you would enable us to not only hear from you today, but by faith, write down an amount and then sow that amount into your kingdom over the next 12 months. Lord, guide us, direct us, speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hold that. You can have the little wristband we gave everybody. There's wristbands laying throughout the sanctuary that say he is worthy on it. You can have that. I'm wearing mine. I'm going to wear it all the time. I'm just going to remind myself that God is worthy. If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 6 with me this morning. Mark chapter 6. I spoke three weeks ago on the fact that he is worthy. Of it all, we talked about worthy of sacrifice, worthy of our communication, prayer, worthy of our witness in every part of our life. And then Candace preached a powerful message two weeks ago uh, that he is worthy of our surrender, our total surrender and sacrifice to him. Last week, our world missionaries were here, and they presented opportunities around the world, and Ted Stackpole did a powerful job of proclaiming the fact that God is worthy of it all. And today, I want to read from Mark chapter 6 as our opening text as we talk about and we just unwrap and unfold this final message in this series, He is Worthy, on the fact that He is worthy of our obedience, and He is worthy of our perseverance. He is worthy of our obedience, and He is worthy of our perseverance. Let's start reading at verse 45. It says, immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethesda. While he, was, while he sent the people home, after telling everyone goodbye, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Late that night, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on land. He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and the waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. He intended to go past them. I want you to underline that or hold that there and think about that. He intended to go past them. But when, he saw, when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. They, all ter- they were all terrified when they saw him, but Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. Then he climbed into the boat, and the wind stopped, and they were totally amazed, for they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. That's the miracle that you would read about just prior to this that we're reading right now, the miracle of loaves. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. After they had crossed the lake, they landed at Gennesaret, they brought the boat to shore and they climbed out. The people recognized Jesus at once and they ran throughout the whole area carrying sick people on mats to wherever they heard that he was. And whenever he went in villages, cities, and the countryside, they brought the sick out to the marketplaces. They begged him to let the sick touch at least the fringe of his robe and all who touched him were healed. I want to ask you a question this morning. Have you ever found it difficult? Maybe you have even stated it out loud that it would be impossible to obey God in a particular area that he has clearly given you a command to do. Have you ever had a 
direct challenge or word from God and you've said or you've thought, I don't think I can do this. This is going to be hard. This is going to be impossible. Can I just get a show of hands? Yeah. Kind of like you want to obey. You want to do what he's telling you to do, but you know the, the reality of it. Maybe you don't have the money that it's going to take. Possibly the people that you need to do it with aren't going to be in agreement with you. Maybe there's going to be something physical that would hinder you. But you know God said it and it makes it seem impossible. This morning over the next few minutes, and I'm going to speak this as quickly as I can, but this word is burning in my heart today. I want us to understand and realize that God is worthy. That is our theme. He is worthy. Say that with me. Say he is worthy. God is worthy of our obedience when he tells us to do something. Even when it seems impossible, even when it seems like there's no way to make this happen, he is worthy of our obedience. But if he is worthy of our obedience, then he is also worthy of our perseverance. Can I get a witness in this room? In other words, you can start well, but you've also got to finish well. You've got to follow this thing through. He's worthy of obedience. He's worthy of perseverance, even in impossible circumstances. Some of you have heard this story before, and I'm going to make it brief, but there was a time early in Beverly in my life, in our marriage and ministry life, that God spoke to us clearly to give an amount of money, $1,000 to be exact, to World Missions. This was back around 2002 or so. Uh, we had been married a few years, a couple of years really, and uh, we didn't have much coming in. I was in ministry. She was a teacher. I'm still in ministry. She's still a teacher. But... The truth is, is there wasn't a lot of money, but God spoke to us this amount, and we believed by faith that he would allow us to give this amount of money. It was an extravagant amount of money for us. It was a large sum of money for us, and we had a lot of unknowns in that moment of our lives. But we had both heard God separately drop this into our spirit, and when we confirmed it with each other, we said we're going to do it, so we made the commitment and we gave the gift. We didn't have it. We didn't know how we were going to pay for other things because we gave it. But we prepared to give this and we did it. And we didn't know it, but we were also getting ready to step out of a ministry assignment that we had been serving. And it was my income. We didn't plan on it. We didn't just want to leave and go somewhere else. But God was pr prompting us a, just a short few weeks after that to step out of this assignment and to resign our position to something unknown. Now, I don't recommend that. I've never done that before, and I've never done it since. But God was clearly speaking something to us to step out of this assignment and to pursue his will for our lives. I need you to understand the tug of war, the uh, anxiety that comes with that. You just gave a large offering that you knew you didn't really have in the natural. And you then a few weeks later are getting ready to resign a ministry position that you love and you don't want to leave, but you know God said to do it. And all of this is going on. How many understand that God's ways are better than our ways? Come on. I'm just trying to remind us today that God is always in control. And when God speaks something, you can trust that he will provide. And you can know that he is a faithful, faithful father. Amen? So we made the face promise. We gave the offering. We stepped out of this ministry assignment. And everything was just like, what now? I had no income coming in. We had no real understanding of where God was taking us. 
Again, we didn't think we would ever do something like that, but we had heard so clearly from God. We knew for certain that God had spoken to us about the money, but we knew nothing else. We knew God had told us to resign, but we knew little more. And for eight weeks, we were unemployed. I was unemployed. For eight weeks, I had no clue. I had sent resumes to churches. I had sent uh, inquiries to other pastors and leaders about what could, where could I go? What could I do? Where could I step into ministry? And I had even sent one resume and driven to the church and believed like that's where God's going to call us. But there was no response. In fact, the only response I got when I called to check to see if that assignment might still be open and maybe they had received my resume was a abrupt and quick uh, response from the presbyter at the time. And he said on the other end of the phone, he said, that church, that pulpit's already filled and uh, we uh, have closed that, that resume opening. So you can, you can dismiss that. And I said, okay, thank you. And I hung up and I said to my wife, I said, I'm glad we're not going there. That presbyter's kind of tough. I wouldn't want to have to deal with him. And uh, turned out to be my mentor and greatest friend. His wife was here last Sunday with us. Uh, but I, I said that, seriously, I said that. And here we were. My grandfather was very sick up in Huntsville, Alabama. We went up to be with family and to be with him as he was uh, passing. And the long story, but I'm trying to make it brief, and that is this. We're on a Sunday morning just before we come back home, and I had not... I had no clue what was going on. My wife had just said to me, Greg, when we get home back to Florida, you've got to get a job. You've got to get a secular job. We've got to have income. I said, I know. We can't live like this. And uh, we were in this service at a church we were visiting, an Assembly of God church. Rich Wilkerson was the guest speaker that morning. In the middle of his sermon, in the middle of his sermon, he stopped just very abruptly. He said, if you're here, God told me to do something and I failed to do it earlier. He said, if you're here and you're in ministry and you're looking for a ministry position or assignment, you're asking God to speak to you. Would you stand up? I'm supposed to pray over you. So we stood up and it was about a thousand people in the building and two or three other couples stood up or people stood up. And, and he said this quick prayer, like God, give them a job. Amen. Sit down. I mean, that's just how it went. And in that minute, God said, make sure you give an offering to him at the end of this service. In fact, God said to me, give every bit of cash you have. And I said, God, that's all I have. And he said, give it. Give the cash you have. So my, I said to my wife, I said, honey, I'm, I, I know we don't have much, but the cash that we have, we're supposed to give it to, to this ministry, this mission, this missions work that Rich Wilkerson was doing at that time, starting his church in Miami and reaching the, the homeless and the down and out in Miami. And, uh, and I said, we're supposed to give this. And she, just like me, was like, okay, <laughs> well, whatever, if God said it. Knowing that it would be credit cards moving forward. But we obeyed. I gave everything in my pocket except for $10. I held $10 back. You say, oh, you should give it all. You're going to be like Ananias and Sapphira. Your God's going to kill you. <laughs> but I didn't. I held it back on purpose. I held that $10 back because it wasn't my $10. There was $10. The grocery store clerk had given me $10 too much change the day before. And I knew it. When I, after I left, I realized it. And I said, I've got to take that $10 back to that lady. After church, it was about a 30-minute drive back to where my grandparents lived, and, and uh, we stopped at the Winn-Dixie by their house. I walked in to the Winn-Dixie. I take out the $10 bill, and I walk up. The clerk was there. She was working again. I take out. I said, ma'am, I think you gave me this yesterday. Too much money, $10 too much. And she began to cry. And she said, I was in trouble for that $10. They were investigating that $10. They thought I stole that $10. 
And she said, I was in trouble. She said, thank you so much. And she called her manager over, and I told the manager, I said, look, it was a mistake. She gave me $10 too much, and I want to give you that. And as soon as I handed her that $10 bill, my cell phone rang. My cell phone rang, and I picked up my cell phone. They weren't smartphones back then. They were flip phones. And I picked up the flip phone, and I answered it. And it was Dr. Arnold Lastinger on the other end of the line. And the same man that had just a few weeks before said, that church is closed, that pulpit is filled. There's no chance of you coming here. Thank you, but no thank you. He said to me, just as abruptly, he said, hey, River of Life in Alachua is open. Do you want to try out for it this weekend or not? I said, I'm thinking, I don't, I don't think I do. <laughs> and I said, yes, sir, we would love the opportunity. He said, you need to be here on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. You're preaching Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night. They'll vote on Sunday night, and if you get the vote, you'll be the pastor. I said, that's a lot of preaching. And my granddad's dying, and I don't know what's going to happen. I said, we'll be there. And we went. My granddad passed away on our way back to Florida. They wanted me to do the funeral on Sunday, so I called Dr. Lastinger. I said, can I do the funeral on Sunday? It's on Sunday afternoon. Can, can I just preach Friday and Saturday and then leave Saturday night and come back? He said, yes, that's fine. So that's what we did, and they voted 100%, and they gave us that position, and we pastored that church for the next 16 years. We got home after going back to Huntsville, back to Florida. We got home, and we opened up our mailbox we opened up our mailbox and we got our mail out and we walked inside. Our house was on the market. In fact, it had just sold and uh, we were getting ready to move in with my beautiful mother-in-law right down here and my father-in-law. They gave us a bedroom that they were going to let us sleep in, but we didn't know how long we were going to live there. But at this point, we knew it would only be a couple of days because they had elected us to be pastors at River of Life. We opened up our mailbox. We got this check out. We got this envelope out and it had a check in it. We were not expecting this check. We had no clue this check was even a a thought in, in any business or any person's mind. And it, on that check was an amount of money that equaled almost to the penny the exact amount of salary that I was out from the time I had resigned to the first paycheck I received at River of Life, our new pastorate. Praise God. I just need you to hear that story to know that when God speaks something to you, you obey the word of God. God will always provide. His hand is never short. He never forgets who you are and he will never pass you up. He will never miss or skip over you and he will provide all that you need. God is faithful and he is worthy of our obedience and our perseverance. I want you to know there were some times during that eight weeks and even during before that eight weeks that I said, there's no way, this can't be God. I must have missed God. I surely didn't hear from God. But I kept hearing it over and over and over, especially not even the missions offering. That wasn't the hardest part. The hardest part was resigning the ministry position. I wanted to be there. I loved the people there. I loved ministry. And I didn't want to leave. And I certainly didn't want to resign if I didn't have another job. But God said, do it. And I said, because I knew my wife, and I said, she'll never resign without another job. She would never let me do that. And I said, God, if, you, if that's really you, then you'll put this in Beth's heart. And I went, I'll never forget it. I went home from the office one day, and she was sitting there, and she said, Greg, come sit down. I want to tell you something. And I said, yeah. She said, I think God wants us to resign. I said, what? <laughs> but God had a plan. God always has a plan. I'm going to give you a little bit of history here. 
One year earlier from this text that we just read, one year early, 12 months prior to this, Jesus and his disciples had entered the region of the Gerasenes. You'll remember the story where the demon-possessed man shows up on the shore there and Jesus casts out the demons. He sets the man free from a legion of demons. I have to hurry, but I want you to catch that. In, I want you to remember that part of the story. He cast them out. And because of the circumstances surrounding that, Jesus and his disciples were asked to leave immediately. You'll remember if you've read this, you know it. The, the, the people of that region said, get out of here. We don't want you here. You have no place here. We're not open to this message. We're not open to what God... Jesus was a missionary. The disciples were missionaries. And these people, this mission field was closed to them. Said, go, get out of here. There's no place for you here. And then the man, the demon-possessed man says, let me come with you. I want to go with you. I need to get out of here too. If they don't want you, they don't want me. But Jesus says to him, no, you stay here. You tell Tell them what's happened to you. Let them see what's happened to you. Let them experience what's happened to you. You stay, and the man obeys and stays. The disciples learned in that moment that Jesus had power to drive out demons. A little time goes by, and Jesus left that large crowd. He goes to the next stop. A synagogue ruler comes to him. There's a crowd gathered around him. And he pleads with them because his little girl was homesick, dying. Candace brought that out in her message a couple of weeks ago. But Jesus was delayed because of this crowd pressing around him and a woman with an issue of blood. You'll remember that, that touches the hem of his garment and she's made whole instantly. She's instantly healed after 12 years of being sick. And here's this crowd pressing around him and the disciples learn in that moment that Jesus has the power to heal the sick. They've seen him cast out demons. They've seen him heal the sick. And the word reaches the little girl's father that she had died. It was too late. But the Lord gives the man reassurance and he says, that's okay, let's go. And he gets to her house and he raises her from the dead. And the disciples see that not only can Jesus cast out demons, not only can Jesus heal the sick, but Jesus can bring life back to those that have already died. There's power. In Jesus. And finally, in verses 30 through 44, just prior to the text that we read, leading up to this, uh, this text, Jesus and his disciples are with this large multitude of people and it's lunchtime and Jesus is teaching and it's time to eat and Jesus says feed them and the disciples say there's no food to feed them and he says find some food and they said should we go and buy this? He said you can't buy this much food so he says find what you have and all they find is you know you know how it goes they find uh, two fish and five loaves of bread and they bring that to Jesus somebody sacrificed that this is not the account where it says it was the little boy it may be the same account but most people don't believe it is the same account it's a separate account and so they bring this so somebody else or maybe a couple of people gave all they had that's all they could conjure up out of the 5,000 present was this two fish and five loaves of bread and so they give all they have and they bring it and you know how it works Jesus blesses it and then distributes it and multiplies it and he feeds 5,000 plus people on that day yet again there's power to do the supernatural. The disciples see all of these miracles. They see all of this unfolding them over this course of a year from the time at the, at the gatherings with the demon-possessed man where they're closed and they won't listen to anything and they kick him out to this point. Now Jesus says to his disciples, go get in the boat, head back across the, sh- the, the, the sea, 
and I'll meet you there. I'm going up here to the hill to pray. And I just read it. The storms come. They're rowing against the storm. They're all working together. They're rowing, but they can't get where they're supposed to go. They can't make it. And I just need you to understand something this morning. We are also, if you're a follower of Christ, will you just wave at me this morning? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we are disciples of Jesus. And if you are a disciple of Jesus, you need to understand that disciples are asked to go. Disciples are told by God where to go, when to go, and how to go. And when God says go, you better go. (laughs) You better pray if he says pray. You better give if he says give. You better send if he says send. You gotta do whatever it takes. God always asks us to take some kind of action of obedience. God always says, will you obey me? Will you do what I've told you to do? I have a plan. I have a will for your life and for my church and for my kingdom and for all that I've created. Will you go? And the disciples obey Jesus and they set out on the boat to cross the lake. They have to be thinking about all the experiences they've had. They have to be thinking about, the Bible says they didn't even understand what had happened with the 5,000. Their, their minds were just kind of numb to it. They didn't know what was going on. But now, they're rowing against the wind. They're rowing against the waves. And they feel like they're about to die. They're about to drown. They don't know what to do. And I just need to give you a remembrance this morning, a little reminder today, that when God tells you to do something and you do it, there will always be winds and waves. There will always be obstacles. There will always be challenges to your faith. There will always be something to make you question, is this God? I want you to know something. When we sowed that that offering into missions, we had no clue. But when God said, leave your position, we thought, well, at least he's going to give us another one right away. And it didn't happen. There's always winds. There's always waves. There's always obstacles that will make you question, God, is this you? God, am I supposed to do this? But God is worthy of our obedience. Can you say amen? And so they had to row together. They were wondering in this moment, would they get through this? Could they survive this? I'm sure you felt that way before. How am I going to make this happen? How can I do it? We felt that way for eight weeks from the time we resigned to the time River of Life opened up. We felt that way. God, is this you? God, can we do this? Disciples always face opposition. I can tell you from experience personally and from biblical history and uh, historical events throughout time that there's always opposition to the will of God. There might have been times when you wondered if you could, if you should, if you should keep rowing. I wonder if those disciples thought, well, you know, it might be better just to let the wind take us where where it goes. (laughs) Like, let's just give up. We're going to wear ourselves out. This is more than we can handle. Let's just see what happens if we just quit. That probably, but they, they had a command from God. Remember, Jesus told them to get in the boat and row to the other side. Go. He told them where to go. I think it's important to note that these disciples did it together. They didn't leave it up to one to just say, well, you keep rowing, but we're, we're, we can't take it anymore. They're just going. They're having to get there. It took all of them to get it. And I'll just say it like I always say it. We're better together. Calvary, we can't reach the world by just one of you being obedient today. 
We cannot reach the world because somebody says, I'll fill out this and lays it up here on the altar and walks out and nobody else does it. We do this because we together say, you know what? We have a passion. We have a vision to see the world saved. We want to know that the whole world has had a clear representation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I will do my part. There's no amount that's too little. There's no amount that's too much. Whatever God puts on your heart, if you will be obedient to do it, if you will row this boat with us, if you will help us move forward, I'm telling you, even in the midst of winds, in the midst of storms, personally in your life, corporately in this house, we will get to the other side and there will be victory and souls will be saved. If you believe that, would you say amen this morning? Souls will be saved. We have to row together. We have to keep giving. We have to keep praying. We have to keep sending. We have to keep going. Mark 6, 48 says, Jesus saw them straining at the oars from the mount where he had been praying. Can I remind you that God always sees you? You're never too far off. The storms are never too big. The waves are never too big. God always sees and God always provides. Thirdly, disciples understand that Jesus is with us. You've got to remember that. Now, I don't know that these disciples really knew that in this moment. I don't know that they had had this kind of experience before. I don't, I don't know in their mind. In fact, I would, I would suspect they didn't because they didn't even recognize Jesus walking on the water towards them. So in this moment, they hadn't learned this yet. But because we have this story in this text, we can know it and we have experienced it. If you've served Jesus for any length of time, God is always with us. He was not far off. But this is what it says in verse 48. It boggled my mind. It created some anxiety when I was reading this. It says that Jesus was about to pass by them. Pass by them. So I scratched my head, Pastor Joe. I said, why would Jesus want to pass by them? Why in the world would Jesus send them on a boat, see them about to die, and kind of snicker and go, I'm just going to sneak by them so that they can't see No, that's not what Jesus would do. But I was questioning, like, why was Jesus about to pass by? Can I be, I just, I don't want to be the only, like, ignorant person here. Would anybody else ask that question other than me? The rest of y'all are so, you are scholars. Y'all should be up here preaching. Well, a few of you raised your hands. I had to ask the question, why in the world would Jesus be passing by them? I think it's directly connected to verses 51 and 52 as I began to study this. It says this, it says, They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. This is what I think. I think, listen, and I'm, I'm going somewhere with this. You've got to follow me for just a couple more minutes. I think that they had forgotten who Jesus was, and their hearts were on what Jesus had done. I think Jesus needed to show them who he was. I think Jesus knew that he needed, I think Jesus knows sometimes that we just have to be kind of redirected and brought back into alignment to realize who Jesus is. Jesus isn't just a miracle worker. Jesus is the son of the living God. Jesus came to live and to die and to raise again from the dead to save the sins of the world. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And these disciples had to get a grip and a grasp on who Jesus was, who Jesus is. And so their minds were all caught up in all of these miracles over the last year. And then this latest miracle of feeding these 5,000. And they were trying to focus on that. And when they see Jesus, they're all consumed with everything going on in in the storm around them. And they don't even recognize him. 
Jesus says in Matthew chapter 19 that with God all things are possible. And this morning, I don't know what God's dropping into your spirit to do for missions. I don't know what God's dropping into your spirit to do for his kingdom, what he's called you to do in ministry here at Calvary or anywhere else. But I want you to know if God says it, it's not impossible. If God tells you to go, you can do it. If God gives you a direction, he will make a way. I want you to catch this with me now. Get this. This is the part that boggled my mind. In Exodus chapter 34, you don't have to turn there, and also in 1 Kings chapter 19, we read the same phrase about the glory of God passing by with Moses and Elijah. When we read it in the context of Moses and Elijah, we don't read it in the same way that we read it here in this text in Mark where it says Jesus was about to pass by. We read, oh, the glory of God passed by. But when I want you to know where Jesus is, the glory of God is. Come on now. Where Jesus is, things are about to happen. Jesus wasn't about to pass by. He wasn't tricking them. In fact, God gave me another word. I won't tell the story, but there was another very strategic moment in my life, in my wife's life, in ministry, when God had to tell us three times over about an eight-month period of time. I'm not playing a trick on you. Why? Because we thought he was trying to pass by, but in reality, like Moses and Elijah, he was about to pass by. He was about to let his glory move on our midst and in our lives and do something supernatural and powerful. And that's what's about to happen in this story. He wasn't about to trick them. He wasn't trying to tiptoe on the water past the disciples in the boat. He was about to let his glory pass by. He came walking on the water. I, I don't believe God was tricking them. I believe God had a plan. God had a purpose. God had revelation for the disciples in that moment. Because there's more to this story than just walking on the water. We love the part about walking on the water. It's really cool to think about Jesus walking on the water. And it's awesome to think that he calms the winds and the waves and they make it to shore together. But there's so much more to the story. This is what I believe with all my heart. Is that when we obey God's word, when we obey the will of God, when God tells us to do something and we do it, God will always show up on the scene. His presence will surround us. His glory will fill us. And the anointing of his spirit will empower us to do the supernatural. God is faithful. With the assurance of his call on your life and his power working in you, nothing is impossible with God. You're going to face opposition. You're going to face some hardships, but you got to obey and you got to endure. You got to persevere. Lastly, this morning, the disciples experienced the power and the provision of God. He gets them to the other side. Jesus and his disciples reached the other shore, the place where he wanted to meet them originally. And I need you to catch this in your spirit with me today. As we conclude this chapter six reading this morning, I want you to realize that where they land, revival was breaking out. Something supernatural was happening. The people of the whole region, the Bible says, were coming together to hear Jesus and all the sick were being healed. This is the region of, of uh, I'm going to say it right, Gennesaret in the same place where he had been a year earlier with the demon-possessed man that they kicked him out of. This is the exact same location. One year goes by. And a demon-possessed man who had been set free, a missionary, to an unreached people group changed the entire community, the entire region. And now they're not only ready to receive Jesus, but they're ready to receive all that he's pouring out into their hearts and in their lives. And the Bible says that all the sick were healed. Can I tell you there's no place too difficult for God to reach? 
I'm going to take that a step further. Because some of you right now are thinking, yeah, God can reach the people in Africa and Tanzania, but he can't reach my children. He can't reach my parents, my family. I've been praying for this unsaved co-worker for years, and they're just the, the biggest heathen. They just, they, you don't even know, Pastor. There's no hope for them. Oh, yes, there is. Oh, there's hope this morning. I'm going to tell you, missions isn't just about people in the Far East or the Middle East or any other place on earth. Missions is about any unsaved person anywhere, your neighbor, your co-worker, your family, your loved one, and Jesus wants to reach them with the gospel. If not through you, then through someone. Oh, Jesus could have stayed right there. He could have stayed right there when they kicked him out. He could have said, no, I'm not going anywhere. He had the power to overcome their opposition. But he said, no, there's a better, there's a better outcome if I leave this one man, this one missionary right here. I'll come back and I'll see how it's going. And revival broke out. Can I tell you there's a place of revival on the other side of obedience? Calvary, hear me. There's a place of revival on the other side of your obedience today. I want to conclude the story of Bev and I giving that offering, resigning that ministry position, taking that church eight weeks later. It was a little church plant in Alachua, Florida, only about an hour and a half from here. And that former ministry assignment, we were only there nine months when God spoke to us and told us to step away from it. Everything I had done prior, everything I've done since, I've done long-term, I've always had the heart to do anything I do eternally. Like I'm not here just to, this isn't a stepping stone, this is where God has me. And that's what I was at there and I couldn't understand and my wife and I couldn't understand after nine months why there was this urgency to resign. There was no problem. Why do we have to resign this? Why do we have to do this? But God said do it. He had to hold us somewhere for nine months because he had created a little place in Alachua County called Alachua, Florida with a little church plant that another pastor, Jamie Jones, that was here back in January, had planted that church. And he needed us there. I don't know why. God and his sovereignty, though, needed us right there. And we needed to be there. And for nine months, he put us there knowing that everything was going to transition and bring us to this place. Because when we stepped away from that assignment in, in Orlando, we, we didn't leave a hole in that church. That church was a large church. That church had plenty of provision and ability to fill the gap that we stepped out of. And, uh, oh, it was sad to leave people we loved and like that. But, but we knew God had called us. And so when we stepped out, that was fine. But God had a plan. We pastored that church for 16 years prior to coming here. With the same intention that we pastor this church with, we'll never leave. We'll stay here forever. God's called us. He's planted us. And that church grew. And that church reached souls. And that church didn't support one missionary when we went there. And when we left, we were supporting somewhere around 50 missionaries on a monthly basis. And going on missions trips. I went on many missions trips out of that church. And I'm believing God to do the same right here at Calvary. God, help us run the world to Jesus. God has a plan. There's revival on the other side of our obedience. I'm telling you, we had revival at the River of Life. There was a move of God. We've experienced great moves of God here at Calvary, but there's more. God's not finished. I'm going to say that one more time. God's not finished at Calvary. 
Let me tell you something. Every pew in this house is going to be filled with souls, hungry hearts. Every seat of every pew is going to be filled with hungry hearts and hungry souls for Jesus. I believe this with all my heart. As we obey God today, as we obey God and we say, I'm going to do more than I've ever done to make sure the gospel gets around the world, I believe God is going to bless this house with increase. Increase financially so we can pay off this mortgage. Increase numerically so we can reach souls. Increase in every way for the kingdom of God to go forth and to see revival around the world. I want you to think about it with me. There are unreached people around the world, but there are unreached people in our back door. There's work, Calvary, for you and I to do. Someone's obedience to give is probably what allowed you to find Christ. Someone's obedience to give probably allowed you or a loved one to know Jesus. Will you be that someone today? Beverly's mom is right here and Beverly and her family, her mom's family are from the Bahamas, the island, the Long Island, uh, Bahamas, Long Island is the, is the island they were from. They were Tories. They were, they were uh, committed to the throne of England. And so they had uh, historically migrated there and instead of coming to the, the new country and they were there and, and they were working and living. And in the panhandle of Florida was a Methodist pastor that we retired but still had something burning inside of him. And he got baptized in the Holy Spirit. The evidence of speaking in other tongues. The power of God was upon him and a new fire was ignited inside of him. And something spoke to him. God spoke to him and said, you know what? There's some people in Long Island that need to know Jesus. Long Island, Bahamas. They need to know Jesus. And this burning retired pastor, this burning fire inside of him, drove him to Long Island, Bahamas, where he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of Pentecost. And there was a move of God in Long Island, Bahamas. And Beverly's grandmother, 14 years old, went to that revival and bowed her knee and gave her life to Jesus Christ. Today, generations later, many years later, her granddaughter stands on platforms and preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ because there was a man who said, yes, I'll go. There was a man who had the fire of God burning inside him and said, I can't stop because I'm retired. I can't quit doing whatever I can do to make sure one more soul knows Jesus. I submit to you, if he hadn't obeyed, sure, God could have sent someone else, but you've got to wonder where those people would be today. You've got to wonder where this family might be today if he hadn't said yes to the Lord. I'll go. I'll do. Some people can't go, but some people can write a check. Some people can give. Everyone can do something. We have to pray and never give up. We have to go and never stop going. We have to give and never quit giving. Calvary, there's work to be done for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. This morning, would you stand together with me all across this room? Would you close your eyes and bow your heads for just a minute? I believe God's going to speak to people. I'm going to ask you in a few minutes to bring your faith promises up front and lay them on this altar with mine. In fact, honey, would you just go ahead and take mine right there and just lay it on the altar? In just a minute, don't, don't bring it yet, because before I do, if you're here and you say, I want to come to know Jesus, I want to give my life to Christ today. I want to be like those people that maybe they... They had rejected God for a year, but now they're saying, I'm ready to accept him. I'm, I'm ready. If you're here today and you need to come to Christ or you want to come back to Christ, 
Would you just raise your hand? I want to pray with you before we move on in this service. You say, I need to get things right with Jesus. I want to give my life to Jesus. I thank you. I see your hand. Is there anyone else? Is there anyone else? Just keep it up till I acknowledge you. Anyone? Is there anyone online? You can just email us. Go to our website and send us a message. And we want to respond to that and pray with you and lead you, help you grow in your faith. But pray this prayer with me. Just take another minute. Is there anyone else? You say, that's me, Pastor. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to come back to Christ. I'm backslidden. I'm not serving him. I want to serve him. Is there anyone? I'm just going to wait another second. Thank you, Jesus. With those that raised their hand, there was one back here. Believing there's more in this online right now. Would you just say this prayer? Say, Jesus, I love you. Everybody pray with me. Jesus, I love you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I give you my heart. I give you my life. And I ask you to forgive me. Cleanse me from unrighteousness. Wash me with the blood that you shed on Calvary. Make me new. I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I invite you to be Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we rejoice with those that prayed that prayer? Amen. Give God praise. Another soul, another life for Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.